This is the book of the genealogy of Adam. In the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them and called them mankind in the day they were created. And Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. After he begot Seth, the days of Adam were 800 years and he had sons and daughters. So all the days that Adam lived were 930 years and he died. Seth lived 105 years and begot Enosh. After he begot Enosh, Seth lived 807 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. Enosh lived 90 years and begot Canaan. After he begot Canaan, Enosh lived 815 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enosh were 905 years and he died. Canaan lived 70 years and begot Mahalalel. After he begot Mahalalel, Canaan lived 840 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Canaan were 910 years and he died. Mahalalel lived 65 years and begot Jared. After he begot Jared, Mahalalil lived 830 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Mahalalil were 895 years, and he died. Jared lived 162 years and begot Enoch. After he begot Enoch, Jared lived 800 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Jared were 962 years and he died. Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Methuselah lived 187 years and begot Lamech. After he begot Lamech, Methuselah lived 782 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. Lamech lived 182 years and had a son, and he called his name Noah. This one will comfort us concerning our work and the toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord has cursed. After he begot Noah, Lamech lived 595 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Lamech were 777 years and he died. And Noah was 500 years old. And Noah begot Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Eventually they died. <laughs> you see the pattern? Verse 5, all the days of Adam lived. 
were 930 years and he died. The end of verse 8, and he died. The end of verse 11, and he died. The end of verse 14, and he died. The end of verse 17, and he died. The end of verse 20, and he died. And then comes Enoch. An interruption. He got to inherit what Adam lost. Long life. Still alive. The oldest man that ever lived is Enoch. He's still alive. Verse 24 says, he walked with God and he was not, for God took him. One man said he walked so far with God that he didn't come back. He was a man of God. Hebrews 11 says, by faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. He walked with God. Reminds me of um, God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Adam, where are you? The next chapter, we'll learn that Noah walked with God. So in this era of human history, everyone didn't walk with God, but those that did, it made a big difference. Enoch's son was Methuselah. Methuselah lived 969 years, and he died. And he died shortly before the flood, which we won't cover today. Um, Jude wrote of Enoch in verse 14, Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, talking about scoffers, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So Enoch was a preacher of righteousness. So the people that perished in the flood could not say that Noah was the only preacher they heard. Enoch preached righteousness, and the lifespan of his son was an extension of God's mercy. You know, here's a man predicting judgment is coming, and his son lives so long and dies before the judgment falls, to me, a demonstration of God's mercy. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you'd speak to us from your word today in such a way that our understanding is accurate and that our appreciation is deeper for all that you've done for us throughout human history. In Jesus' name, amen. Has anyone done one of these DNA tests? How about researching your family tree? Have you gone back very far? Um, I went back to the great-great-grandparent level, and I didn't feel much like a ladder after all. 32 people at that line. Here's the results. I won't bore you with the details, but here's the results. Here's proof that I did it. My results, I'm not an ongoing subscriber. I subscribed for the lowest period of time to do this and did some digging. Here's my family tree back to my great-grandparents. I won't bore you with the details of others. But notice that <clears throat> at the great-grandparent level, counting myself, that's a total of 
15 people, counting myself. So then you add great-grandparents, it gets rather complicated. So while you think this chapter was complicated, it really was simplified. How would you have liked to have read the names of everybody involved in the family tree? Of course, it was rather simple, simplified the closer you got back to Adam himself. We're on a journey through the book of Genesis called The Roots of the Gospel. Today, I'd like to talk about the early genealogy of the Messiah. But before we do, I would like to deal with the questions of how did people live so long. But before I do that, I just want to talk about the importance of this chapter. In Genesis chapter 3, God gave man a promise and the enemy a curse that said this, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So, the serpent was going to lose something. His head was going to be crushed. Uh, I believe this points to the loss of authority. He had gained authority over man by uh, tempting man to rebel against the one requirement God gave them. And Satan then gained dominion over, over man, and man lost his dominion. But through God's mercy, here is this promise that there would be a descendant of a woman that would crush or bruise the head of the serpent, and in so doing, his heel would be bruised. And this is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. From our vantage point, we understand this, that he took away the authority from the devil. He led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. In so doing, he was beaten to a pulp and had one of his heels bruised beyond belief fully fulfilling this promise. But in their day, they looked for this fulfillment and didn't know it was going to be centuries later. And so when their first child was born, Genesis 4.1 says, now the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. I have gotten, literally, I have gotten a man from the Lord. She's looking for that. And, of course, we know that boy was a disappointment. So the end of that chapter, verse 25, says, Adam knew his wife again. She bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel. For Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born and called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon them. Why would they do that? Because problems drive us to our knees, do they not? Problems call us to prayer. Now, if you were the first mama, if you were Mrs. Adam, if you were Eve, would you tell your son about this promise? If you were Adam, would you tell your children about the fall? Would you tell them about walking with God in the garden in the cool of the day? Would you tell them about the separation that happened when they rebelled? Of course you would. And so these boys would have heard these stories. But by their grandchild, Enosh, Cain, by that time, prayer began to happen. Could it be God send the seed? 
free us from this cursed earth. We're tired of these thorns. Sin the seed. Sin the seed. There is a lot of overlap in this chapter of lifespans. You know, your great-grandparent dies, and then maybe you're born shortly thereafter or just before that. That happened in, in my case. But in this case, it didn't. Out on the foyer, you can see the overlap on the big circular map of the history of the world we have out there in the wall opposite the back wall of this room with magnifying glasses so you don't get lost in the details. It would be more simpler, though, to see it linear on a, on a straight line, and here's a version of it. You have Adam's lifetime on the thing. This chapter covers over 1,650 years. You have here on this graph, they, they perceive Sham's life ended around 2,158 years after creation, with year zero being the creation of Adam. Adam was alive when Seth was born, Enosh was born, Canaan was born, Mahalalel was born, Jared was born, and Enoch, and Methuselah, and even Lamech. But by the time he died, Noah came along. So there's this overlap, and this is God's mercy. In passing down wisdom from generation to generation, having had no history, no past. I mean, Adam had no father other than God, right? And then that came to an end. So he has to learn everything by experience and then pass that down to the next generation and help, help reinforce the wisdom you're gaining in the culture that is being born. So this is God's mercy. Now, you may think, well, I'm not sure if I believe that. Are there other examples in history of people living a long time like this? Well, in archaeology, there's a study of the Sumerian culture, the Sumerians, Sumer, who's heard of that? Mesopotamia, the area east of Eden, area of land, Iraq. And on their artwork, their etchings, they have people living in thousands of years. But could it not be there's a kernel of truth? Hey, Pastor that? Steve Waldron here. This is a prism. This is how they used to write historical records and other documents back 4,000 plus years ago. This happens to be known as the Sumerian King List. And what's fascinating about the Sumerian King List is, first of all, you do have historical personages that have been found from archaeology. They think they found one king that they would date to 2600 BC, be that as it may. Um, it talks about that the king used to live preternaturally long, exaggerated long ages, like 60,000 years, 28,000 years in all of this. And then it says the flood came. Now, why that's significant to Bible believers is we would say that this is a distortion of the biblical story of the flood and the pre-flood, the antediluvian world, where people did live several hundreds of years. Mythology distorts, such as the Sumerian king list. And so it's going to exaggerate certain things, but it is going to have a kernel or a germ of truth. That's what you find with the Sumerian king, the Sumer, you know, Mesopotamia, the birthplace of nations, the birthplace of civilization. So much still happening in that cradle of civilization today between the Tigris and Euphrates River, the land between the rivers. And so 
this is yet another dramatic confirmation that ancient man in that area believed that before a flood, people lived very long ages, many times longer than they currently live, and then a flood came and destroyed the land. Yet another independent, secular confirmation of Holy Scripture. You can believe every single word in this book. God bless you today. Love you in Jesus' name. One belief held about Sumerian culture is their, their numbering system revolved around 60. In other words, to, to, to get to the number in our time, divide it by 60. And that when you do that, it makes it more parallel with what the Bible numbers are. Now, are the Bible numbers something that needs to be divided? You don't have any other account of, of numbers in Scripture needing to be divided so we can properly understand them. So I believe it was literal. As a believer, I already believe a virgin gave birth to the Son of God. I believe that he died for my sins and arose from the dead. Why is it hard to believe that there was a time when man lived longer than he currently does? In Genesis chapter 1, on the second day of creation, the NIV says it as follows. God said, let there be a vault. The King James says a firmament. Let there be a vault or a space between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. God called the vault sky, and there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. Now, we understand in our current atmosphere, we have different layers. There's the stratosphere and the toposphere, the ozone layer, different, different spheres surrounding the, the earth. So if this is a literal representation of what God did, then there could be a sphere of water surrounding the earth. This being possibly the truth, it would filter out harmful radiation that shortens lifespans and stunts growth um, and harms food. It could make the atmosphere more dense, so you get a hyperbaric chamber effect where things could live longer. We have a passage in one of Peter's writings that somehow echoes this, 2 Peter 3, 5. For this they will fully forget, he's talking about scoffers, that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. So if there's a significant shift in the amount of oxygen in our atmosphere, we burn up. So there's a balance of gases that has to be just right. The earth is just right to live in. But it says that our, the judgment of this place is preserved by the word of God that made it. So the same word that made what is commonly called the water canopy on the second day of creation, created the current condition. God will never again destroy the whole earth with a flood, but fire's coming next time. Uh, the old Negro spiritual says, God gave Noah the rainbow sign, no more water, but fire next time. That's right. Those that are mocking God and his order laid out for us with the rainbow sign have no idea what they're doing. Rainbow's a good thing. I'm taking it back.
the early genealogy of the Messiah is what we're talking about. Pastor, what does this have to do with the gospel? Well, if you read this passage and then find out the meanings of the names of the people listed in the passage, you'll see the gospel. So we start with God. He's there. Verse 1 and 2, there's God creating the first man, named him Adam, made him male and female, and named him Adam, both of them. Adam is there. That was their name. And then he created Adam, which means man or mankind. And Adam had a son named Seth, means appointed. She said, they named him Seth and said, God has appointed another seed for us, Cain having killed Abel. The name Enosh means mortal man, feeble or frail. The name Kainan, related to Cain, means a dwelling or a fixed thing or a nest to build. Uh, Cain was a builder of cities. So it's something that's established and establishing, which is kind of sad. We'll see in a minute. Then there's the name Mahalalel, which means praise God or bless God. Praise El. Praise the mighty one. And then Jared, which means to descend or to go downwards. And then Enoch, which means dedicated. He was dedicated to the Lord, wasn't he? or to be initiated. And then the famous Methuselah, which literally means man of the dart or sword or spear. Now, I know out there on the Internet you'll find people disagree with me, but I tried and tried to find agreement with what they're saying, and I'm not finding it in, in the, in the uh, dictionaries. It's being preached, even well-known preachers preach it, that Methuselah means his death shall bring. And so when he died, the flood came. So what a wonderful prophetic declaration that his death, the man, the longest man that ever lived, held back God's judgment until he died. That preaches well, but I don't think it's real clear in the dictionaries. It literally means man of the spear or the dart or branch to shoot out. When a branch shoots out of a root, that is... Methuselah, if it's man. Uh, Lamech means be made low, to make, to make low. Noah means rest or comfort. His daddy prophesied when he was born, he's going to bring us rest from all our problems because this ground is so cursed. You see the cry in their heart? This guy's going to be a savior. He was, but everybody wasn't included in it because of their rebellion. And then he had a son, Shem. And Shem means name. Now here's the gospel, starting with the left column, then the right column, and then the middle column at the blow. Almighty God made man in his image. Man was set. I mean, he had it going on. But then he became mortal. How did he become mortal? Sin, right? And that became his estate. That became his fixed dwelling place. 
mortality. But praise God, Mahalalel, praise God, here comes a shift. There's going to come a descending. Someone's going to come down to our level and is going to be dedicated or initiated. Could we say anointed? Picture of Christ. A man of the dart or of the spear or a man of the branch. He's the branch, the family branch, the rod that grew out of the root of Jesse. Also, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was speared for our sins and made low. He became a man. That's huge. That doesn't even compare to you becoming a cockroach. Almighty God becomes a man. And then as a man, he became a servant, a poor servant. And as a poor servant, he took the place of a criminal. Barabbas, which means Abba's child, (laughs) he took Barabbas' place. Just You see the descending? the downward spiral, the being made low, to the point of being made dead and buried in the tomb. But hallelujah for the resurrection because we receive rest from our labors, no longer paying for our sins. He has paid it all for us. We are blessed, rescued from judgment, We can receive the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, through what Christ has done. Peter said in Acts chapter 2, Jesus is the one that poured out this that you now see and hear. So he did that for us. That's the gospel. But what happened to Jesus? He's been given a shim or a name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee, that's every person, Both your knees are going to hit the ground. And every tongue, that's every person and every language, is going to confess that Jesus is Lord. Pardon my accent, but in Spanish, you're going to say, Jesus Cristo es del Señor. Right? Hebrew, they're going to say, Yeshua HaMashiach. He's the Lord. He's the Messiah. So you see the gospel and the names of this Now, these names are reiterated in other places in the Scripture. In Luke chapter 3, from um, Joseph, the stepfather of Jesus, going backwards, they do it in 16 verses, all the way to Adam. These names are here. Uh, In 1 Chronicles 1, 2, and 3, these names are here. It just lists them, Adam, Seth, Enosh, Canaan, Mahalel. Yes. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the gospel. I pray, Lord, you give us a fresh appreciation for what you've done for us and the great lengths you went through to convey your love to the human race. And, Lord, even at that, we need help. 
And so, Lord, we thank you that in your mercy you've opened our eyes to see your truth. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you, Lord, for the gospel. I pray, Lord, for those that maybe have heard for the first time today, I pray, Lord, that you would plant this seed deep in our heart and may it bring forth a harvest of eternal life for every person in this room. In Jesus' name. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. We live for you. Jesus, the name above.
such a good job of, of telling us about the gospel in Genesis. What a wonderful thing. And uh, he touched on this scripture earlier during the sermon. Um, in Genesis 4.1, Eve has a son, names him Cain, and says, I've got a, I've got a man from God. And then in Genesis 4.25, it says, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and named him Seth. For God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain killed. Right there, prophetic. He refers to Cain as the man. She does. And she refers to Seth as a seed. This is prophetic. This is exactly following what God promised he was going to do a work of restoration. So what we see in these first few chapters of Genesis is we see God portrayed as God of relationship. He was in relationship before creation began, right? But he desired more relationship. And so creation, he spoke creation into existence, and it was a perfect creation. He was in perfect relationship with Adam and Eve. And then sin entered the world and there was disobedience that was introduced and immediately God shifts gears yes he loves the relationship but now he's a God of restoration so what I want to do here and, and I think that Pastor Allen actually prophesied this just before we started uh, the service this morning when he was talked about people that are here that really need to Turn to that restoration to understand the restoration that God desires to bring. So what I want to do is just take a couple of seconds. It's not going to take long. Let's just bow our heads. And I just want to speak to you about God of restoration. If you're here today and you need a restoration in any part of your life, and that restoration takes the form of maybe health, you need a restoration in your body. God is here to do that this morning. He is a God of restoration. Maybe you need a restoration in the form of relationship with either other people or even God Almighty himself. He's here to restore that as well in the name of Jesus. Maybe you need a restoration in the form of 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 finances and you've seen something that has come against you and it's harmed you God wants to restore that so if you're in any of one of those situations where uh, you need a restoration in, in, in any of those areas while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed I just want you to lift up your hand really quickly we're going to wow thank you Lord Wow, thank you, God. There are, I, I got to tell you, folks, that there are hands that are going up all over the place. God is so good about being a God of relationship and being a God of restoration. So I want to pray in to your personal circumstances. These hands that are raised, you can go ahead and put them down, but we're going we're gonna to pray into that today. And we're going to trust God that believe God is who he says he is. God of relationship, God of restoration.
So, Father, I just thank you, Father, for all of these people around this auditorium this morning that are in a need of restoration, whether it's restoration in terms of relationship, restoration in terms of health, restoration in terms of finances, maybe even restoration of a relationship with you, our good God. I thank you, Lord, that you are moving in that area in, in the lives of each and every one of these people that have been so faithful to raise their hand and say, yeah, that's exactly what I need this morning. So, Father, I thank you that you pour out your Holy Spirit upon these individuals, that you move their lives, Lord, that you give them testimonies because that's what you desire, Lord, that you restore their health, that you restore their finances, that you restore relationship, Lord, that you restore them, Lord, that they have a clear understanding that you are a good, good God, more than, more than able to restore what the enemy would, would try to take away. Father, I thank you, Lord, for these people, Lord, and I ask that as they leave this place, that they walk in that restoration, that, that early on in this word, we see that you desire to bring. In Jesus' mighty name. Thank you, Lord. Amen.